ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله So the last thing that we were discussing was who are the types of people that are allowed to miss fasting? Which types of people have a reason and Islamically they are allowed to miss fasting? That was the last topic we were discussing. And what do those people have to do if they miss fasting? So, which types of people were they? Who is allowed to miss fasting? Before you answer that question, you should answer another question first. That one is, who are the people who have to fast? Who has to fast? Every Muslim who is fit, meaning he's not incapable, he has the ability, he's of the age of puberty, mukallaf, aqil, Muslim, they all have to fast. Everybody who is Muslim is at the age of responsibility, the age of puberty, has the ability, has his mental faculties, his mind is working, all of those have to fast. So then the next question was, which types of Muslims are allowed to miss? Give me one type to start with. The traveling one, that was one of the ones that we did. If a person is traveling, He's on a journey, then is he allowed to miss? So if a person is on a journey, traveling is one of the reasons which allows a person to not have to fast. If a person is traveling, does he have a choice, can he still fast if he wants? It depends. What does it depend on? His capability. If a person does not have the ability to fast when traveling, he can't do it, then that person when he travels is not allowed to fast. And there are some narrations, some narrations even mention how the companions, they were with the Prophet ﷺ traveling, some of them were fasting and they camped up. When they camped up, some of them had been fasting, they had chosen to fast on that journey, some of them had chosen not to fast. They were traveling. When they camped up, the ones who were fasting, as soon as they camped up, they fell down, exhausted, couldn't do anything. The ones who weren't fasting, 
they had still energy. They set up the tents and everything, the camps. So the Prophet said, they've got the reward this time. So the scholar said, it's about ability. If you have the ability to fast in traveling, then okay. If you don't, then just like in the other narration, the Prophet said about them, Ula'ika al-Usat. They are the sinners. The ones who don't have the ability. It's going to be so difficult and pain and hardship and you're trying to fast when traveling, then you shouldn't. But if you're capable, you're fit and strong, and you can fast when you're traveling, then no problem. No problem. It is mentioned in the hadith. Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami, radiyallahu anhu, came to the Prophet sallallahu and he said, Inni ajidu bi quwwatan ala sayyam fi safar That I find in myself ability to fast when I'm traveling. فَهَلْ عَلَيَّ حَرَجٍ is there any problem if I do that? If I fast when traveling? The Prophet ﷺ said to him, In shi'ta fasum. If you want, then you can fast. Wa in shi'ta Or if you wish, you don't have to fast. So the one who has the ability has the choice. Which choice is better to make though? The one, imagine somebody now has the ability. He can fast when he's traveling, no problem. Which choice is better for him to make? Should he choose to miss that day? Or should he choose to fast that day? To fast is the better choice? Because he's fit? Fast because he has the ability. Okay. The ayah. Okay. Okay. If you fast, that is better for you. Anybody else? It's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. The person who has the ability, should he choose to fast or should he choose to miss? It's a difference of opinion. Some scholars say he should choose to fast. Why? Because they say fasting is an obligation. And if you have the ability to do it, then you should not delay it. Why are you going to delay an obligation and leave that burden upon your shoulders to have to make it up afterwards? This obligation right now, you have the ability, so do it. That is better. So some of them say, fulfill your obligation at the earliest option, at the earliest possible opportunity. If you can fast whilst you're traveling, fulfill your obligation now and get it done with. Don't leave it hanging afterwards to make up when you have the ability to do it now. That is one opinion. Second opinion says, no, even if you have the ability, you should choose not to fast. What's the evidence? Hadith, Inna Allah yuhibbu an tu'ta rukhasuhu. Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. When you're traveling, Allah has given you a permission that you can miss fasting. The narration says, Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. So even if you have ability, you should take the permission Allah has given you. And miss that day and make it up afterwards. Because even if you're fit and healthy, even if you are, 
when you're traveling and you're fasting, obviously that's a bit more difficult than when you're resident and fasting. So still, in that case, you should take the license and the freedom that Allah has given you in that situation and just miss it and make it up afterwards. Because Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. So you have these two opinions about which one is better. Whichever one, if imagine now the person takes the choice to miss, when or what does he have to do afterwards then? Make up the days that he missed. He has to make up the days that he missed. When? Later? Excellent answer. But when later? In the night? He has to make up the fast in the night? Any time he wants, 20 years later? So nobody's got the answer yet. When does he have to make them up? The next day will be Ramadan still. After Ramadan, up until when? When's the last chance to make them up? Before the next Ramadan. So now, what year is it? You call it year 2017. If you miss some fasts this year, because you weren't traveling, you have got one year to make them up. Any time you can make them up in that one year before next Ramadan starts. If you haven't made them up by the time next Ramadan starts, then what happens? It's a sin, correct? If you haven't made them up by the time next Ramadan starts without any reason, then it's a sin. But then what do you have to do though? You still have to make them up, so you'll have to wait for Ramadan 2018 to finish, and then you'll have to make up these days from Ramadan 2017 after it. You'll still have to do it. And some scholars say you'll have to do something extra as well because you have sinned now. Your chance was to make them up up until next Ramadan. You missed that. You sinned. So you still got to make them up after the next Ramadan, but on top of that now you have to feed poor person for every day as well, on top as expiation, and seek forgiveness, tawbah, for the sin that you did for not making up the fasts before next Ramadan. Sheikh bin Baz, he gave that fatwa, you should feed as well for every day. Because you have sinned and you're making them up now at a time that is outside of the time that was allowed for you. That is regarding the one who makes them up. After Ramadan finishes, there's a hadith about the next month. What is the month after Ramadan? The month of Shawwal. There is a hadith about that month. What does it say? So, man sama Ramadan, thumma atba'ahu bi sittin min shawwal. Whoever fasts Ramadan, 
when the six days, just six days of Shawwal, he gets the reward as if he has been fasting the whole year. How does he get the reward as if he's been fasting the whole year for just six days? Because every good action gets ten times the reward. So if you fast one day, it's like you fasted ten days. So if you fast six days of Shawwal, it's like you fasted sixty days. And if you fasted thirty days in Ramadan, thirty times ten, three hundred days. Three hundred add sixty. And that's one year. So it is as though you have the reward of the whole year if you do Ramadan and then six days of Shawwal. But the point I was going to make though, somebody who was traveling in Ramadan and had three days left to make up. If you want to get the reward of the Shawwal Hadith, the full year of fasting, what do you have to do about the three days that you had left to make up? Okay. Can you do just the Shawwal six and then do your three days that you had left to make up any time before next Ramadan? You can, but you won't get the reward of Shawwal one. The Shawwal six days you have to finish off any days you got left over first because the hadith says man sama ramadan thumma atba'ahu whoever fasts ramadan then follows it up with six days if you've still got days left to make up of ramadan that means you haven't fasted ramadan yet you've only done some of ramadan yet you need to finish off the days you got left so that you have finished fasting Ramadan. Then you do those six extra days, and then you get the reward of the whole year, insha'Allah ta'ala. Those six extra days, do you have to do them all in a row? It's up to you. You don't have to do them all in a row. You can do one, miss one day, do another one, miss one day. You can do five, then miss two weeks and then do another one at the end. As long as you do six days in Shawwal. That makes the reward of the year. The other point that was going to be mentioned here was, there's a hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha that she says, she had some days left to make up. She had some days left to make up. But she never made them up all the way until... All the way until... Just before the next Ramadan. All the way up until just before the next Ramadan. So she didn't make them up the whole year right till the end. A person may say that's an evidence that we can just relax and make them up right at the end. No need to do them now. What do you think? 
scholars they have said this hadith is not a proof to be lazy the hadith Aisha radiallahu anha delaying was for a reason and that reason was as the scholars mentioned because Aisha radiallahu anha was preoccupied with the rights of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam she was preoccupied with all of the various rights and the various things that she had to do even with knowledge she was one of the scholars the other companions used to come and ask her questions so she was always busy with these things and the rights of the Prophet ﷺ and everything because of all of those things she never got round to making up those fasts up until the end but the point is it's not a proof to be lazy you should make them up as soon as possible but if you get delayed, it's allowed to make them up as long as it's before the next Ramadan. That is regarding making them up. Because if you don't make them up, imagine you're taking your time. You think, I've got all year to do it, I'll do it later those three days. Imagine you die. And you never made up those three days. So now what happens? What happens to those three days now? You had to make up those three days. You were just relaxing, thinking about all the way till next Ramadan, and you never did it yet, and you ended up dying. The relatives can fast on your behalf. They feed on your behalf. Anybody else? So, this... Uh, so what's the ikhtilaf about? Uh -huh. So there is a difference of opinion about whether it is allowed for a person to make up fasts on behalf of somebody else. There is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars about this. There's a hadith, man mata wa alayhi sayam, sama anhu waliyu. If somebody dies and he's got days left to make up, his next of kin makes them up. There is a hadith like that. But there's a difference of opinion are you allowed to fast on behalf of somebody or not? Some scholars, one opinion is yes, no problem. The hadith says, sama anhu waliyu. Next of kin fasts on his behalf. So some scholars say, no problem. If somebody dies and they got days left to make up, their next of kin can make them up on behalf of that person. No problem. That is one opinion. There is another opinion which says no. It is not permissible to fast on behalf of somebody else altogether. Because fasting, they say, is like prayer. Can you pray on behalf of somebody else? If somebody says they can't be bothered to pray Dhuhr, you pray for me. Can you do it? Impossible. Everybody has to pray themselves. They say, some scholars, fasting is the same. It's impossible to do it for anybody else. Everybody has to do it for themselves. There is a third opinion though. The opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and others. They say there are some types of fasts that you can make up for other people. 
but there are other types which you cannot. Which types can you not ever make up for somebody else? Actually, a bit opposite. The ones which are obligated in the, the default Sharia. Meaning, if a fast is obligated fi asli shara by default there is a particular fast which is obligated like Ramadan <coughs> that is a fast which is obligated by default fasts which are obligated by default fi asli sharia fi asli shara as they say you can never fast for somebody else that is only the person by himself. But fasts which are not in the default, they are not fi asli shara. Those you can. Like for what? Vowing. Somebody makes a vow. He makes a vow, he is going to fast three days. But then he dies. Now, obligatory for him to fast. Three days, he's got three days to make up. He vowed the three days, but he never did them, he died. So now he has three days he needs to make up, but he's died. The next of kin can do those for him because they were not obligated by default. The default obligated ones, you can't. The ones which are not default obligated, he made them an obligation by vowing, etc. Those ones you can't. That is the third opinion. And that is the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Upon that opinion, it could be said that the next of kin can feed on behalf of the person at least. Some scholars will say that. Next of kin died, had days left to make up, it was a default obligatory fast, you can't do it for him. Then at least just go and feed for the number of days the poor people do that much. Some of the scholars say you can do that. Because you can't fast on his behalf. So that is the differences about if somebody dies and they have days left to make up. Same issue. A person missed the Ramadan, he wanted to make up, but he died before he could. Ramadan is default obligatory, you cannot fast on their behalf, on that opinion. If you take the opinion of some of the scholars, they say you can just do it, okay. But this opinion that the default obligatory ones you cannot do is a strong opinion. Because they have some ahadith. A woman came to the Prophet ﷺ. And she said, my mother vowed to fast, but she died without doing it. Can I do it for her? The Prophet ﷺ said, if your mother had a debt to pay somebody, would you have paid it on her behalf after her death? She said, yes, I would have paid it off for her then. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the debt to Allah is more deserving to be paid off. Meaning, the fasting that she had left to make up the vow. So the scholar said, look, this hadith is very specific. It was about the vowing fasting, not just general any fasting. So they say, okay, if it is that type of fasting, you can make up for the person. But outside of that, if you're going to start including Ramadan, they say that's too much. The hadith is specific about vowing. Hence, the opinion is strong that if it's about the vowing ones, the non-obligatory ones, which became obligatory, 
then those ones you can do. But the default obligatory ones, no. The hadith is one? Yeah, so they, they say this is all combined together. That hadith is open. Whoever hasn't fasted, his next of kin, make, uh, or who's got days left, next of kin makes them up. That's open. That could indicate any type. But then the scholars, they say, however, these other narrations specify those open ones. They are open. But these narrations about the vowing highlight to us that the meaning of those open narrations is on this issue of vowing. So basically they are saying, you have the general narration and you have the specific narration. The specific one takes on the general one. So they say only those specific circumstances. That is the issue of making up those fasts. After Ramadan finishes, once it has finished, is there any other chance to fast apart from the six days of Shawwal? As Shaykh Al-Thaymeen he mentioned, and other scholars they mentioned, when Ramadan is here, there are three main acts of worship. In Ramadan, there are three main acts of worship. One is obviously fasting. One is Quran recitation. And one is prayer. Three main acts of worship in the fasting. The fasting itself, the prayer, and Quran. And then they also add on top of that for this month charity as another great act of worship for this month. When Ramadan finishes, does fasting and taraweeh and Quran finish? Absolutely not. Ramadan finishes, your taraweeh can carry on. You can pray taraweeh, but just after Ramadan, it's not in congregation. Pray it at home yourself. All year you can pray that, every night if you want. Pray taraweeh. Just in congregation it doesn't happen. In Ramadan, in congregation, outside of Ramadan, every night you can pray your raka'at. You can do it. People don't do it though. Taraweeh, most people, majority of people, they only do it. In Ramadan only. That's the only time. And for the rest of the year, there is no taraweeh for anybody. You can pray it. The night prayer in the last third of the night, the best opportunity to do it. Also, fasting. Does fasting finish when Ramadan finishes? Absolutely not. You have the six days of Shawwal straight away. What else do you have? Mondays and Thursdays. Ashura, okay, you have the day of Ashura, and you can do with that the ninth, Tasu'a, the ninth and the tenth. What is Ashura? What is that day? That was the day Musa was saved, and when the Prophet came to Medina and he saw the Jews fasting on that day, and he asked them, Why do you fast this day? He said, It is the day that Musa was saved. So the Prophet said, we are more deserving of Musa than you. So he fasted and told them to fast. And in the beginning of Islam, it used to be obligatory. 
Then the Ramadan came and that became optional. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, oppose the Jews and the Christians, or uh, the Jews, and fast the ninth along with the tenth. What else? The moon, the lunar days, 13th, 14th, 15th. The middle three days of every month. What else? Arafah, the day of Arafah also. The great reward of that day. What else? There is a hadith which mentions three days every month. Not necessarily the lunar days, just three days. Any three days per month. Do three days per month, any three days. So there is many fastings. The best of them you can do is fast one day, take one day off. Next day, fast. Next day after that, take it off. Next day, fast. Next day after that, take it off. One day fasting, one day off. One day fasting, one day off. You can do that. That's the good fasting. Regularly fasting like that. So the fasting, it continues. What about Quran? Forever? Absolutely. The Quran is not only for now. The Quran, yes, in this month, there is extra focus on the Quran. There is extra focus on the Quran. But throughout the remainder of the year, the Quran, it is not to be neglected at all. In this month, extra focus on the Quran. Al-Imam al-Bukhari, how many times did he used to finish the Quran in Ramadan? How many times do you guess? How many times could you finish the Quran in Ramadan? Five times? Six times? Thirty times? Thirty as well? Three times? It is mentioned he used to finish it at least more than thirty. Thirty miskin. Forty times they say. Because he used to finish it once a day, every day. He used to read every day, finish it once a day. But that's only that's only how many then? Thirty. Where's the last ten come from? Something else they say. Al Imam al Bukhari used to be the Imam. He used to lead everybody in Taraweeh. He used to finish the Quran in the Taraweeh prayer. How long did it take him? How many days to finish the whole Quran? In Taraweeh prayer when he was leading everybody. Three days. So every night, ten juz. Ten juz every night, finish the Quran in three nights. On the fourth night, on the fourth night you're back to where you were. If somebody came on the first night, missed the second, the third, the fourth, and came on the fifth night, they would think, okay, he's just got to this part now. Don't realize he's already finished it, and the second time he's got to this part now. So every three nights he would finish the Quran in Taraweeh prayer. That's how many times? In Ramadan? Ten times. So ten plus his personal thirty times, forty times. And there are narrations of Salaf even more than that. Even more. Imam Shafi'i they say. Sixty they say about him. So many narrations about how much they used to do. Pure just reading. No messing around. Quran, focus, concentration, reading, reciting, learning, pure focus, no messing around. 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. Now people, if they finish it once, 
Then everybody has to go buy the sweets from the Pakistani Asian sweet shops. Once. Those days they used to finish so many times. The Prophet outside of Ramadan, forget Ramadan, outside of Ramadan, when he used to pray the night prayer, the Taraweeh, Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Imran, Surah Al-Nisa, all of it praying in one night, in one raka'ah. So, now it has become different. Of course, no doubt, now the timings as well, it is difficult anyway. So there is no harm, there is no issue in making them shorter, Praying a little bit less, maybe only one hour. That is mostly what people can do, one hour, one hour and a half, because of the timings and everything, and that is no problem. That is in accordance to the situation and the circumstances of the people and the scholars, of course, they recommend that and advise that. In these days now, it would not be advisable to read taraweeh for four hours. Four hours, if you do that, it only gives you ten minutes to go home and eat, and it's, that's it, fajr. So it is suitable to make it slightly shorter. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you finish all the eight raka'at and witr and everything in 25 minutes. You can do a little bit more. Most people can do a little bit more than that. Most people can do maybe 50 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe hour 10. This is the, the, the norm everywhere you go. The norm that people can do and what is recognized that people can do is around about maybe you would say roughly 50 minutes to 1 hour 20, 1 hour 30 maximum maybe. 50 minutes, 55 minutes, 1 hour, 1 hour 10, 1 hour 20, reading maybe half a juz, maybe getting up to one juz, possibly doing about those amounts is what is these days viable. Oh, personal level, you read what you want. This is I'm talking about taraweeh. Personal level, you should be reading the Qur'an as much as you can. Personal level, you can do what Imam al-Bukhari did, finish it once a day. It's not that difficult, really. you got to put several hours in, of course. But otherwise, what are you going to be doing? Sitting around, doing nothing, talking to your friends? Waste of time. This month of Ramadan, use as much as you can in that recitation and finishing it. And your memorization and going over it, whatever you can do to balance the time with the Qur'an. So the prayer does not finish after Ramadan. The fasting does not finish after Ramadan. The Qur'an does not finish after Ramadan. In fact, is there any worship that finishes? Worship is constant. Worship is constant and you carry it on. The point of Ramadan is it is a month which helps you to get into the routine of worship and then you can carry it on afterwards. That is one of the benefits of Ramadan. You get into the habit of all the prayers. Obviously you should be doing that anyway. You get into the habit of taraweeh. You get into the habit of Quran all the time. Into the habit of all these worships and charity. And that gives you something, motivation to carry on doing all of this worship afterwards too. So that is regarding some of the affairs of Ramadan and we have actually come to the end of Kitab al-Sawm in Al-Mulakhas al-Fiqhi obviously very summarized and short that is all it is a short summarized chapter regarding some of the points or we could maybe mention some of the other points in addition to it some of the other major points of Ramadan are Laylatul Qadr as one 
So when is Laylatul Qadr? In the night, which night? Night of Ramadan, which night? Any night of Ramadan? So tonight it could be Laylatul Qadr? Okay. The opinion here so far says Laylatul Qadr can be any night of Ramadan. Could be tonight. Anybody else? It's going to be in the last 10 days of Ramadan. In the odd days. Then the Laylatul Qadr is going to be in. <laughs> so in the last 10 nights. That is an opinion. The last 10 odd nights is an opinion. Other opinions? 27th is an opinion. 25th is an opinion. 29th is an opinion. What you said, that it could be any night of the whole of Ramadan, is that an opinion though? Absolutely it is. It is an opinion of some of the scholars that you cannot definitely Definitely say Laylatul Qadr is in the last 10. Could be in any of Ramadan. That is an opinion. It is an opinion of some of the scholars. That's why a Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, if you want to guarantee Laylatul Qadr, make sure you pray Taraweeh every single night. Don't just come last 10 nights every night you pray, I got it. You want to guarantee, then pray every single night. That is the only way. Of course, the strongest Scenario is that it's in the last 10. The strongest of that is the odd nights. The strongest of those are the 25th, 27, 29. Those are stronger opinions. But to be sure and to get the reward anyway, Manqama, the one who stands and prays in Ramadan, then he is having his sins forgiven. So that is Laylatul Qadr. What is Laylatul Qadr anyway? What is it? So you can do du'a and you can pray when the Qur'an was revealed. What does that mean when the Qur'an was revealed? In Laylatul Qadr. How was the Qur'an revealed in Laylatul Qadr? The Qur'an came over 23 years. This is what some of the scholars, they mention. That it was revealed from the preserved tablet to the heavens, or that it was transferred from one, or, or it was revealed from one to the other on that night. That's when that revelation occurred on that night. From the, uh, some of them say from uh, the various levels of the heavens, or they mention even Al-Baytul Ma'mur and other levels, and the preserved tablet and other levels that it was revealed like that, the transfer, you could say, or imagine like that, it occurred on that night. That is Laylatul Qadr. The reward of praying on that night is the reward of khayrun min alfi shahr, which is over 80 years worth, over 80 years worth for that night. Another important thing in Ramadan, what you could mention is Al-I'tikaf. What is Al-I'tikaf? You sleep in the mosque for the last 10 nights. Anybody else? 
seclusion in the mosque, a'tikaf, staying in the mosque and doing ibadah, who's done a'tikaf? You wanted to do it. So i'tikaf, the word in Arabic, what does it mean? What does i'tikaf mean in Arabic? They say in the definitions, i'tikaf is luzum shay Sticking to something. So when you do i'tikaf, you stick to the masjid. You stick to the masjid. I'tikaf meaning sticking to something, staying somewhere. So i'tikaf now is i'tikaf in the masjid. Sticking to the mosque. You seclude yourself, meaning you don't get involved in wasting time. You come to the masjid and you stay in the mosque and you're not allowed to leave. Stay here for the last 10 nights or whatever amount you're able to do. Doesn't have to be all 10 nights. And you worship. You do Quran, you do prayer, you do other worship, dhikr. Spend your time in the worship of Allah. Not wasting time talking, chatting here and there. And you're not allowed to leave. If you come to do i'tikaf and make the intention of i'tikaf, you're not allowed to leave. Only if it was some emergency, some necessity, emergency, some medical issue happened, you have to be taken to hospital. Of course, you can go. Some necessity, okay. But otherwise, you're not allowed to leave the mosque in i'tikaf. You don't have to do all 10 days like we said. You can do 7, 5, 2, even 1. Whatever day, whatever, even not even, imagine half a day. An hour, two hours, you make the intention, you can do it. I'tikaf, whatever you're able. The Absolutely. In i'tikaf, a person who comes to the mosque to do i'tikaf. It is not to waste your time. You must be in worship, you must be doing your... Your Quran, your prayer, your adhkar, whatever you're doing, involved in that worship. Not cheating, chatting. You're not allowed to leave the mosque, even if it's for a shower and these things. You can't do that. You've got to take care of your affairs here. Only if it was necessity you can leave. The rest of it you spend quietly in the mosque, privately doing your worship for those 10 days. That is the purpose of it. It is not to relax here. It is not to have a, a, a social gathering with everybody doing i'tikaf. Then inshallah ta'ala you have to find the number of Uncle Ismail and you have to ring him, he'll come and open the mosque and you can do itikaf inshallah. That depends on the rulings of the building. If this building is all considered masjid, then it's allowed. Depends on the rulings of the building. Sometimes, some scholars, they say you can have a big building, but only a section of it is the mosque, like the prayer hall. You could, you could consider that this prayer hall is the mosque, and those up there are not mosque. That could be. But if the whole building is considered masjid, then it's okay up there too. If the whole building is considered masjid, if that is not considered masjid up there, that is a separate section of the building, not part of the masjid, then you can't stay up there. That depends on the ruling of the of the building and how it was, uh, yani the rulings of the, the rooms and considered. Huh? That you can work out with the shura and find out what's going on with the building and the rulings of it. 
What about the women? How do they do i'tikaf? To the masjid? Not in their homes? Anybody else? So far, one opinion saying the women do it in their home. So two now. The majority, the majority now are saying in the home. <laughs> For i'tikaf, the scholars they say there is no proof for women to do i'tikaf at home. I'tikaf is masjid. They say even for the women, even for the women, i'tikaf, if they want to do i'tikaf, ibadah, get permission of the husband and everything, and if it's all organized, then they come into the mosque. If it's all organized. They have permission from their husbands or their fathers and everything is taken care of at home. It's all organized and arranged and everything is settled. In the mosque, it's settled, it's safe. Everything, if it's organized, then women in the mosque. At home, scholars say there is no i'tikaf at home. They can go sit in their room and privately worship, but it's not considered as the real i'tikaf. They say the real i'tikaf, the rulings about it, are for the masjid only. They're for the masjid only. It is a common thing. People, they say about the women doing the i'tikaf in the homes. But the scholars, they all mention i'tikaf, the ruling is masjid. Masjid, even the women. If they can get everything organized, they come to the mosque and do i'tikaf. If they can't, and often it is difficult, it is difficult often to organize those things, then no problem. At home, they do their worship and whatever else, but the real i'tikaf is in the mosque, even for women. That is the fatwa of the scholars. Many of the scholars, that is what they have mentioned. I'tikaf for the women in the masjid too. All that's left then, after... Hmm. No, that's what I'm saying, arrangements. All the arrangements have to be in place. If there's a mosque that cannot make arrangements for the women, khalas, they can't do it, they can't come to the mosque. It's got to be all arranged and settled, including the facilities at the mosque. If that can't be done, then okay, women can't come to that mosque and do it. That's, that's just how it is. Uh -huh. You can have a secluded area. You can have some seclusion with some curtain or something, or, or maybe some type of tent or something. Some seclusion for yourself to do your worship. Seclusion meaning by yourself, nobody disturbs you. So you can just focus on your Quran and everything. It's allowed. It's allowed to put things like that. Anything else up to there? And also, people being aware of Absolutely. Those people who are doing i'tikaf, don't come and disturb them. Don't come and start sitting with them and relaxing with them and talking to them. Let the people doing i'tikaf do their i'tikaf. Let them do their worship. Let them focus. Don't disturb them. Especially like small building here. Somebody could be doing i'tikaf just there, there. Don't go disturb them. Let them do what they are doing. So it is not suitable to be relaxing when you're doing i'tikaf. And you should not come and socialize with people doing i'tikaf. Let them do it. If they come over to you, they want to talk a couple of minutes or something, no problem, it's allowed. But don't just come and spend time for hours in the mosque, you're sitting with your friends who are doing i'tikaf talking, and even the ones who are doing i'tikaf amongst yourselves, don't just sit around talking and socializing. 
That isn't how i'tikaf is. I'tikaf isn't a relax. It's not a camping trip together. I'tikaf, you do it separate, focus and do your worship. That's the point of it. All that's left then round off on is Eid. Ah. Oh. Women with pregnancy, we mentioned it briefly last time. It's a very big issue on difference of opinion. If a woman is pregnant, some scholars they say when the pregnancy finishes and breastfeeding everything finishes, she has to make up the days. That is the fatwa of the permanent committee, Sheikh Bin Ba, Sheikh Ali Taymin. She's got to make up the days. Others, like Sheikh Al-Albani, and there are strong narrations for it, they say a pregnant woman doesn't have to make up at all. She can just feed a poor person for every day. It's a big difference of opinion. You have to just look into some of the articles about it, read into it, and you take one of those. But it's a big issue from the olden times, from centuries and centuries ago, on this issue of the pregnant women, the breastfeeding women, some scholars say if she doesn't fast because of her health, it's a different ruling. Compared to if she doesn't fast because of the baby's health, different ruling. All these differences about the pregnant and breastfeeding women a lot. If what? Go on. No, that blood during pregnancy isn't the postnatal bleeding. So she can wash herself and pray. But that bleeding, Allahu alam, it would be considered just dam fasad. It is just the, the, the blood which is not menstrual blood, it is not the postnatal blood. So that type of blood, she just washes herself and just prays, that's it. She can, like in those narrations about the mustahada, washes herself for the prayers and she can pray. And she could wash herself and do two prayers together in their times. Pray dhuhr at the end of its time, a few minutes later, asr at the beginning of its time, done two in their times, but almost like it's combined. So it makes it easier. But that's it, because that is not the blood of period or the postnatal, so just wash and pray. Alright, we'll conclude there for today. Last question, go on then. Homework for this week, because next week is going to be... Yeah, the next week is going to be the last... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, next week, inshallah, it's beyond. Next week will be the last class. Next week uh, is the last one, so your homework can be what? What's the homework going to be for next week? What's the homework going to be about? The homework can be, tell us five sunnah things that you're supposed to do on Eid day. Five sunnah things that you're supposed to do on Eid day. Next week, you got to tell us five things which are sunnah, you should do them on Eid al-Fitr. Eid al-Fitr, because Eid al-Adha has some different ones. Eid al-Fitr, five things which are sunnah you should do on Eid al-Fitr. So you can tell us that next week and we'll do one more lesson on some topics regarding Ramadan. And we'll round off next week, insha'Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.